You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast, where you'll get extra bonus content like our pet peeves segment, where we ask our guests about their pets and their peeves with the church. Galatians 3 verses 27 through 29. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Here St. Paul is discussing the differences in the old law and in living in faith as children of promise. Elizabeth Donnelly, um, what does it mean to live in promise and how does this promise help Make those in Christ act as one, like it says in this verse. For me, living in the promise is to be attentive to and an active participant in the indwelling, the incoming reign of God in history. And so that's the promise, the coming reign of God, which we will only fully experience after we die. But the reign of God is marked by God's radical desire for radical inclusion. God is love is the most powerful sentence in the universe, mm. underestimated. Yeah. And that God's intention is radical inclusion. Here comes everybody and universal flourishing and that mm. we have to be active participants in that. And I love this quote from Galatians, but I also, and, and I'm also inspired by the Corinthians notion of that we are all one body and we each have been given different gifts for the flourishing of the whole body and each member of it. And if we're attentive to discerning what our gifts are, but also being supportive of the gifts that have been given others, if we deeply listen to one another, then that will build unity as we respect one another. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. It could be your favorite Church Unity Podcast. What we definitely are is a proud member of the Amazile Ministries Podcast Network, so be sure to check out all of our other shows over there. I am Joshua Knoll. I am here with a couple of great guests as we wait in anticipation for the greatest co-host of all time. I am here with the one and only Betty Ann Donnelly, who is a co-founder as well as a preacher coordinator for Catholic Women Preach, as well as here with uh, Russ Petrus, another co-founder of Catholic Women Preach and a content manager for that organization. Um, welcome both. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Joshua. Good to be here. Yeah. D- did I do that right? Did I say everybody's things correctly? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, you awesome. did. You did awesome. just Great. right. <laughs> um, I know Betty likes to go by BA. So if you hear us just say BA, that's, uh, you know, we're not trying to say that she's the toughest one in town. That's just, <laughs> we're referring to her. <laughs> it works, though. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I, I can tell um, as, a, as a vivid SpongeBob fan, I know for certain that uh, she definitely does not go to the Weenie Hut Jr. I've never seen her. <laughs> um, Oh, all right. Well, with that, we are still waiting for the one and only, Um, you know, God made Eve so that Adam would have a helper and God made Tejas so that mankind would have a friend. He is the greatest friend. 
He's also, I, I would say he's late. Um, if you've watched Princess Diaries, you know that royalty is never late. Turns out everybody else is just early. So we started a little bit early, it turns out, waiting on TJ. Um, so without him, I'll do his parts. I already mentioned the Amazon Ministries Podcast Network, AMP Network. Go check that stuff out. We have other shows like this. I do another show over there that's uh, Dummy for Theology. If you want to hear me talk about just different theological ideas and arguments people have had for a couple thousand of years, it's fun. I don't give you any good answers. Just ask a bunch of questions and then leave them open-ended. That's fun for me. Christian hates it. If Christian, if you're listening, shout out to you, man. Um, that being said, we also want to go ahead and plug and let you guys know that you can rate and review our show on Podchaser. You could also do Apple Podcast or Spotify. Doesn't help as much, but you know we, we really appreciate all of your feedback on Podchaser if you can. And with that, guys, I have a favorite form of unity. And I, I would not do this without the legend himself. So, Tiberius, now that you're here, I need you to answer first. We're all, both me and him will answer first, give you time to think about it, guys. What would you name a superhero with all the powers of your favorite animal, TJ? Shark Boy. Easy. Already been done. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to see. I don't want to give too easy of an answer here. I'm just going to go with the Sheltitude. Yeah. Yeah. He's just. The whole power of a sea turtle is basically just having a shell. So that, you know, <laughs> also would look extremely different from the Ninja Turtles. Because sea turtles and turtles do not look as similar as some people think. They are significantly different sizes and head shapes and etc. Also, he would have fins. You'd pretty much have to hang out with Aquaman exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, B.A., you have an answer for what the superhero name would be if a superhero had all the powers of your favorite animal. Well, my favorite animal when I heard that is either a river otter or a sea otter because the idea of just zipping through the water and going down sluices and lying on your back <laughs> in a kelp field is awesome. And they seem to have yes. a lot of fun. Semicolon, however, when given our topic, I thought that my superhero would be called empathy da, 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 empathy and you think of dogs <laughs> and if you're having oh, a bad yeah. day we have uh, we have our dog and our daughter's dog they they read your they read your emotions so that would be my wow, superhero yeah. empathy yeah we've had a sister rose on here a couple times who was a the leader not leader, but she she was involved with the Catholic campus ministries at the college I went to, UNCW, um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I would definitely occasionally went by the Catholic campus ministries home just to pet the dog. They had a really nice dog there. He was a good boy. Is this Rose McNamara? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I studied at Weston Jesuit with her. I love Rose. <laughs> yeah. She <laughs> is truly incredible. Yeah. But. <laughs> a superhero herself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rose's pants. Sister Rose is my superhero's name. Thank you. Next question. <laughs> um, Russ, what would the superhero name be 
I went in an entirely different direction and I went mythical. So I I, I chose the Fantastic Phoenix. Um, I, yeah. I do love the Phoenix. There's something about the imagery of the Phoenix rising from the ashes that uh, uh, is compelling to me. So I went yeah. with the Fantastic Phoenix, which I guess is, you know, keeping with that alliteration. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. That sounds yeah, very Marvel much like... Marvel is so famous for. Would have actually been a Marvel hero, like, in the 70s, I feel like. Oh, yeah. You could convince me that it existed. Like, it sounds well, official. Yeah, well, there was Jean Grey, who eventually became yeah. the Phoenix in the in the X-Men, yeah, of fair. course. But yeah. Fantastic Phoenix sounds cooler, though. I don't know why she yes, didn't think yeah. of that. There's something fantastic <laughs> oh, about sure. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> truly. So, Russ, B.A., so one thing we found that helps a lot with Christian unity is hearing one another's stories. Uh, would you mind sharing with us some about the stories with your faith? You know, you could kind of little testimony for us. Uh, we'll start with you, Russ. Sure. I, um, I grew up in a, uh, my, my father was a cradle Catholic, a Catholic from birth. And so he got sort of all of the best of the, uh, cultural Catholicism, the traditions and, and, and the, the culture that comes along with Catholicism. And then my mother was an RCIA Catholic, which uh, right of Christian initiation of adults, which has now changed its name in the Catholic Church. But she was a convert to Catholicism. And uh, so she went through that uh, in the 80s when the Catholic Church was very alive with a lot of new thinking uh, post-Vatican II. And so she kind of got a lot of new ideas, newer theologies. And um, so I'm sort of a product of that wonderful, beautiful mix. Um, and uh, so that's sort of where I come from. Uh, I eventually uh, went on to graduate school and uh, received my MDiv from Boston College. Um, and the one thing that I, you know, treasure and I think everyone should do is to receive some kind of advanced degree or advanced training in their theological tradition because um, it, it it does – make a difference uh, in, in the way you approach the things that you were, that were handed on to you uh, and, uh, and, and the way you approach the world uh, gives you just a stronger theological grounding yeah. for being able to answer the tough questions that, that we face day in and day out. So. Yeah. Big fan of that. Oh, yeah. What about you, B.A.? Well, I wanted to tell one particular story. Um, uh, my intro would be, I grew up in Pittsburgh, literally in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He lived two blocks away from us, and we lived two blocks away from the Tree of Life Synagogue, which was so horribly shot up. Um, I came from a, a very strong Catholic family, and I was at Mary Knoll headquarters in Austining, New York. They say there are two great uh, institutions in Austin, New York, Sing Sing Prison and Marinol. But I was there in the fall of 1980 for my formation semester for the Marinol Lay Mission Program. I went and worked uh, two and a half years in Bolivia and Peru after that. But uh, the last week of October 1980, I was coming home from class and it was the most profound, the most profound uh, experience, theological, I mean, spiritual experience of my life. I met this woman in the hallway. It was sort of a dimly lit hallway. And she was wearing a red flannel, flannel shirt and uh, jeans. And her name was Jean Donovan. And um, she, we introduced ourselves and she explained to me that she was on her way back to El Salvador. She had been with the formation class the previous year and uh, went to work with kids orphaned by the war in El Salvador. 
And she grew up in Westport, Connecticut. Her dad was an executive with Sikorsky helicopters. So he could, she could identify the, the helicopter strafing overhead. And she took her golf clubs and her motorcycle, thought this is going to be fun. And she was seeing decapitated bodies on the side of the road. And so she went to Ireland to visit with a priest friend who was her mentor to discern whether or not she would go back. And she decided to go back. And she stopped at Marion on the way. And as she was ex- talking to me, I was just this far away from her. The edge of her head became fuzzy and this whoosh of wind emanated from her head towards me and it hit me, something's going to happen to her and it's not good. I went upstairs and I told two of my friends and that was the last week of October. Um, They were killed, uh, Mara Clark, Jean Donovan, Eda Ford and Dorothy Kazel were killed on a Tuesday, December 2nd, 1980. And Dorothy and uh, Jean had had dinner the night before at Ambassador Robert White's house. And he said, stay here. She said, oh, no, we have to go to the airport to get Mara and Ida. So they were, as you know, probably, I don't know if some of your audience is young enough, know, knows this. They were detained by soldiers, taken to the woods, raped and murdered and buried. And there's this famous photo of Ambassador Robert White looking as they're being disinterred because he had had two of them for dinner the night before. That Sunday, we took a Marinol van to her home parish in Westport, Connecticut, and the pastor was open enough for a young Salvadoran catechist who happened to be visiting Marinol at the time to preach the homily. And he explained that these four women had shared the fate of unknown thousands of Salvadorans and their commitment to the poor. And so talk about reverse evangelization. It was a very powerful experience. And then we had Mara and uh, Ida's funeral. And Mara Clark's parents in their 80s brought up the offertory gifts to the tune of Be Not Afraid. Hmm. That was the most powerful experience of my faith life. Wow. Wow. What a story. Yeah, it's incredible. So you all help with a ministry called Catholic Women Preach. That is true. I've heard that happen. Um, (laughs) What can you tell us about the ministry and how it started? Russ, you go. Sure. So um, the organization that I work for uh, called Future Church um, has been around for a little over 30 years now, founded in Cleveland. And one of the centerpieces uh, each year for Future Church of our uh, of our programming is uh, our Mary Magdalene celebrations uh, on or around July 22nd, lifting up Mary Magdalene uh, and her true role um, in the Gospels, and of course, um, trying to reclaim her identity as the one who was commissioned by Jesus, who was entrusted by Jesus to go and proclaim the good news, of course, of the resurrection, um, and and not so many of the things that she's portrayed as um, in uh, in art and in movies and songs and um, culture generally. Um, and as a part of that, we had always had what we called unheard homilies. And so mm-hmm. because women are generally not welcomed to, uh, to, to preach the homily, uh, in a Catholic service, a, a Eucharistic mass, uh, we called them unheard homilies. So these, these women mm-hmm. would get up and reflect on the readings and on the feast day. And so we had done that for a number of years, and some members of our board wanted to institutionalize that. They wanted to create an entire program around unheard homilies. And so uh, there was one board meeting that they all got together, and we're doing some strategic planning. 
And they came up with uh, this idea and voted on it. it. was passed unanimously by the board that it would be a priority uh, for the board um, in 2015, 2016. Mm. Uh, and so that is what launched us onto the Catholic Women Preach Project. And I think this is maybe where Betty Ann comes in. <laughs> We've been working well together for all this time. So... Um, in 2011, I served on the advise, Women's Advisory Board of Woodstock Theological Center at Georgetown. It's unfortunately closed now. And the scholars there really felt that women's voices were not sufficiently being heard in the Catholic Church. So they had the bright idea of filming four of us preaching on the Sunday readings for Advent. And they filmed us in Copley Crypt Chapel on Georgetown's campus, which is a gorgeous space. And they put them up on Vimeo and got a lot of feedback. And that was that. That was Advent of uh, 2011. About 2013, I'm lying in bed, unable to sleep. And it just hit me. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. We get a content controlled website. We ask amazing Catholic women from around the world to preach on the upcoming readings. Keep it short, five to seven minutes. And we post their video, their text, their brief bio with links to their publications or organizations and their photo. And we put them on the website at least two weeks in advance. So we have all these clergy people, not just Catholics, who get their homily ideas from these amazing women. And we try to match the reading with the woman. So for my, mm -hmm. my favorite example is, as you know, the gospel story where Jesus cures the little girl and he says to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Well, I know that. Catholic sisters organized internationally have a network of over a thousand women uh, uh, against human trafficking. And the name of that network is Talitha Kum. So I invited the uh, Italian sister who coordinates that network to preach on that reading. And we're very proud to say that Sister Natalie Beckhart, who's the number two at the Vatican's office on the synod process, the global process of listening to the church, what, how we need to change the church. Mm -hmm. Sister Natalie Beckwart just preached for us. So if your guests will go to the Catholic Women Preach website, you, you put the name of the preacher or the, um, the scripture reading or just Samaritan woman in the website, I mean, sorry, in, in Russ's search engine, and you can see Sister Natalie. We have now over 400 homilies fully wow. accessible on the website. It's a growing body of resource, of rich, nourishing homilies, short. And the obvious, the obvious purpose is to say, look what we're missing as Catholics. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, some... I, have, I have no evidence to back this up, but I think we may very well be the largest repository of women's preaching. Um, in the Catholic uh, tradition. It's certainly oh. in the Catholic tradition. Yeah. Um, you know, so which is kind of a cool. It's a it's a great thing to be able to say that we we've accomplished yeah. and a gift that we've given to the church. Yeah, man, those are some incredible stories, awesome accomplishments. I, I really love that you you brought up um, Mary Magdalene earlier because I, I feel like a lot of people don't know at least the first couple hundred years of Christianity, the church knew her as the apostle to the apostles, and we just kind of yes, lost that, that term along the line. Yeah, along right. the way, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do wish more people would remember that. <laughs> also, yeah, she's been cool maligned, and I and I think I, th you know, it, it's hard to say that it's been, um, you know, well, it, it's easy for me to say it's purposeful. Now, whether or not it was uh, to begin with, I don't know, but uh, the, certainly the perpetuation of it. Now that scholars know a lot better, 
um, you know, seems to be uh, purposeful to me. But yeah, she's sort of the the patron saint of uh, Catholic women preach and uh, of future church. And uh, every year we invite a different uh, woman to preach for the feast of St. Mary Magdalene. And we've had some some doozies. Um, uh, but yeah. uh, it's it's always a big holiday for us to celebrate oh, the yeah, feast day sure. on July twenty. We're also we're also adding a section to the website of uh, preaching on the women who are omitted. There's an official cycle of readings in the Catholic tradition called the lectionary, year A, B, and C. And so we're including preaching. And the most famous example of this, the only time the word deacon is used in the New Testament associated with someone's name, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 16. Mm -hmm. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, deacon of the church of Chancray. Help her out in the ministry in any way you can. She's been so helpful to me. Catholics will never hear Phoebe mentioned at Mass. So uh, we have uh, Sister Carolyn Osick has a brilliant uh, homily on Phoebe. Uh, and as you m- may know, there's a worldwide movement of future church and other reform organizations like Discerning Deacons. We're trying to restore women mm-hmm. to the Catholic diaconate. Yeah, yeah. I, um, we, we do need to move on. But I have to mention, since we mentioned Phoebe, um, if you go through Paul's letters in most translations, English translations of the Bible, um, there's only one time. That when Paul uses the word deacon, the word for deacon, it gets translated as servant. And that's when we talk about Phoebe. Every other time, it actually says deacon. It's just such a fun little, wow, we're doing we're doing great. If you want to hear more about things that might be intentional, um, Sister yeah. Rose, we mentioned earlier, also said uh, it recommended for me to read The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And uh, yes, read that. Sister Rose yeah. was right. Yeah. Unfortunately, this this episode is not about systemic sexism. <laughs> Maybe yeah. next week. <laughs> you never know. Oh man! Um, but in, in a lot of Protestant churches, you know, that's where TJ and I both grew up. Pentecostal. I'm kind of leaning Lutheran right now. I don't know what I am. I've been called the uh, Uno Reverse card, made <laughs> personified. So yeah, I'll just go with that. Um, <laughs> but a, a lot of the Protestant circles. The debate around women as pastors or women preaching kind of goes around First um, Timothy 2, where it says, you know, a woman shouldn't teach a man. And then the part of Genesis where kind of God says, man's, you know, then woman and whatever, you know, they they, they make it as though, oh, what's that verse? I think it's Genesis 3, where it says that woman will want the power and man's going to lord it over her kind of deal. So they use those two sections are a lot of the debate and Protestant churches around women preaching. Um, how do you guys, I'll throw it to BA first, how do you treat these sections of scripture where it kind of discusses gender roles in the Bible? I'll, I'll let Russ give a more fulsome reply, but I would think that you, you have to understand, the, obviously, the cultural context of the time and the patriarchal culture of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, as, as you all know, it's so interesting that we're able to move past certain parts of that culture so we don't hold slaves anymore. Slaves be, slaves be obedient to your masters. You know, we've given up some of those references, but not the ones about women. Um, and so I, I think I think that's a that's a large part of it. And um, Susan Ross, a wonderful theologian at Loyola Chicago, preached for us on the question of the absolutism of G- Jesus's uh, statement on divorce. Similarly, there the, there are some things that that appear so absolute. And yet, you know, when Jesus says, if you're, if you're eye offending, pluck it out. Well, we don't do that. 
you know, so <laughs> there are certain yeah. things, certain absolutist statements in the Bible we've been able to move past and some that for some reason we don't. Hmm. Russ. Russ is... Yeah, I um, you know, there there's another creation story in Genesis where uh God creates male and female in God's image. Um and there's no indication that there's any you know, there's really any imbalance in in terms of their their createdness and 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 being equal in God's image. So, uh, you know, I I think the important thing to remember Certainly, from our Catholic tradition and other, I understand other denominations mm-hmm. will approach this differently. But from our Catholic tradition, you know, we are happy to apply uh, various critical methods to Scripture, and one of them being the historical critical method that um, I, I know a lot of other um, Protestant uh, denominations um, use. Just to say exactly what BA said, like we've got to look at the particular place and time that these scriptures were composed. Genesis is probably an amalgamation amalgamation of several different uh, writings that were compiled over time, which is why, you know, in part we have two different creation stories that contradict mm-hmm. one another. Um, so just to kind of bear that in mind uh, when we're looking at these things, these were people trying to um, make sense of their lived reality uh, through, you know, Certainly, I don't know that we would necessarily call it theology, but in their time, it was what they, it was theology. It was what they were doing. Um, and uh, sometimes you're going to get it right. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is to say that, you know, the stories have truth, but they're not necessarily true, right? So they, yeah. they contain some truths, but they're not necessarily truth, um, the truth. And and I, and I, I, I guess, you know, that's something that would make, you know, Catholics unique among uh, some of the cr- Christian traditions, um, you know, is that historical critical method and other uh, things. You know, one of the things that Catholics rely heavily on is also tradition. Uh, so, you know, it's often said that Catholics uh, have tradition and scripture, and those are sort of two sides of the same coin, uh, whereas tradition is constantly sort of reinterpreting um, scripture for for contemporary times and trying to best understand it for the needs and opportunities that are before us in uh, our current reality. Yeah, I feel like people are quick to apply like historical critical theory to Leviticus and <laughs> basically nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I um so so before we move on, I'm just going to do a little bit of legwork here. Um, they can go back and listen to some of our other episodes about dividing scriptures. We talk about some of this, but for those who didn't follow along, um, part of the documentary hypothesis, um, historical critical stuff that we're talking about here says that Genesis one through two, four is a different creation story than two, four through the rest of three. A lot of people have never heard that before. So that's what we're referring to. Um, and yeah, Catholics, don't necessarily believe the Bible has the same inerrant kind of doctrine that a lot of followers of ours might have. Um, but they don't, tradition can't contradict scripture. If I'm, if I'm thinking correctly, they're not saying tradition can say can trump scripture or anything like that. So just catching us all up. Um, so that out of the way, are these issues of like Genesis, First Timothy, some of those, are they as big a deal in the Catholic Church or are the debates you guys hear around women preaching different than what we typically deal with? 
Yeah. So in in the Catholic Church, it gets a little scrambled because uh, I don't think those, you know, uh, First Timothy, uh, Genesis, any of those really play into the the conversations that Catholics have around preaching um, in in our in our in teaching and our our liturgical and official spaces, um, because for the most part, um, women can preach in the church. The the problem is that they are not permitted to deliver what's called the homily. So it's sort of like uh, squares and rectangles. So all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. So all homilies are preaching, but not all preaching are homilies. So the homily is something very specific that's delivered during a Eucharistic liturgy, the mass. So, you know, if uh, listeners who aren't Catholic are familiar, you know, the communion gotcha. wafer, that, that's what you, you know, if, if that's involved, um, you know, that's a mass. So uh, technically a priest or a deacon should be delivering the homily after the gospel passage. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if it's not a Eucharistic liturgy, women are welcome to preach um, in, in terms of very strict rules of the Catholic church. So you will frequent, frequently find um, sort of more uh, open and inclusive pastors of Catholic parishes, including women at the altar preaching on, say, for instance, Good Friday, because the Good Friday service is not a mass. Um, you'll often have uh, in our in our in the Catholic Church, there's a lot of difficulty with the pre-shortage throughout the world. Um, and so you'll often see lay people, including women, offer reflections during what are called communion services. These are not actually Eucharistic liturgies. So so women do can and do preach, and, and lay women can and do preach in the Catholic Church. The issue is that particularity of the homily. Uh, but that's, of course, what most Catholics are familiar with. That's what they go to on Sunday. Uh, and so what uh, B.A. had referenced earlier, this question of restoring uh, women deacons in the Catholic tradition um, is, is very important because mm-hmm. if women were ordained as deacons, again, in the Catholic Church, we would have more women preaching that homily and more you know, everyday Catholics who go to church on Sundays would be able to hear uh, those 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 homilies from women, right? There are um, there are more open pastors, as Russ explained, who do uh, make some brief remarks and invite women to give the homily. Uh, it depends on whether or not your local bishop is open to that, right? <laughs> Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of creative ways that Catholics have gotten around it. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. so that so there's that the bookend method, which I think is what BA is referring to, where the the priest or the deacon will say something, then invite someone to say something else, and then uh, <laughs> and then sometimes there's like the post communion. So after everyone has received communion, they'll invite uh, a lay person uh, uh, or a woman. And when I say lay person, I mean a non ordained person. Yeah. Um, to the to the you know to come up and offer some words of reflection. Um, so yeah, there there are different ways that Catholics engage in this. The the problem is that specific term, the homily, and it's rooted in ordination. Yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy. I know two things. Uh, you know, growing up Pentecostal, it never occurred to me that women couldn't preach. <laughs> I just I know yeah. women pastors. Why? Yeah, of course, and. Uh, trying to trying to find a loophole uh, within the organization because it takes so much to actually change it. Mm. Like for us, 
if we want it changed, see you all next year. We'll vote on it. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what's so, you know, the church, the Catholic Church with its 2000 year history and this big, you know, entity that it's, you know, it is a huge mammoth ship. And so it moves very slowly. And to try to turn it around is is a gargantuan task. And I'm just really thankful uh, for Pope Francis, who has called together this synod. Uh, yeah. this worldwide uh, consultation of, of the laity. And for the first time uh, in its history, we'll have lay people, including women, as official vote uh, wow. voters at the assembly in uh, this October 2023. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I, it's huge news. Um, uh, you know, and it's one of the, it's, it's, it's big, huge Catholic news. You know, yeah. I think the rest yeah. of, you know, <laughs> others might look at him like, well, that seems like a small step, but it, it's huge news in the Catholic church. And uh, I, I, I think change, change should be coming. Um, you know, and it, it, it may be small, uh, but that's one thing that, um, I think the Catholics who have been in it for the long haul <laughs> understand is and, and learn to celebrate those little victories. You know? people, yeah. people have observed this is the largest consultation in human history. Wow. It's been a, a several year process and they've distilled uh, regional reports of what emerged from these listening sessions and then continental reports. Um, and it's extraordinary. This is not just coming from the U.S. and Europe. All over the place, people are asking for women in leadership in the church mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of conversation about restoring women to the diaconate. So as Russ said, this is incredibly hopeful and we're all praying for the meeting in October as the next stage. Yeah, I was, um, I was talking to a friend earlier today who is actually agnostic and went to the UNCW, same school I went to, who was just mentioning, we were just talking about Sister Rose and he was like, yeah. It's actually really weird to me that she isn't a priest. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah. for those who aren't part of the Catholic Church. Yeah, sometimes that's a little strange. But, you know, the thing about like the tradition and stuff of the Catholic Church, I think of it as like a really big wall and walls are really great at keeping things out like bad doctrine. But they're also pretty good at keeping things from leaving. (laughs) So it's kind of like, oh, well, hmm." it just takes time. And I I get that. I know. Hopefully our listeners hear that and can appreciate that too. Yeah. You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Hmm. You know, We're all original TJ quote. The whole <laughs> yeah. motif of the synod, the synod is walking. We're pilgrims on the road together. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And we've been given different gifts hmm. and we're Good missing stuff. the gifts, the preaching gifts of women at the homily. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did come up with that quote. That's not from the Tao Te Ching. Or anything. Lousy <laughs> well, didn't say that before me. Yeah, uh, that's all TJ. Yeah. yeah, that's that's an original. That's copyrighted. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it is so. Is there anything either of you get excited about when someone asks you about it that we haven't asked you? Like any particular passions outside of what we'd mentioned, or about the ministry, or literally anything. Yeah, I one issue that uh, Russ and I we share this passion and with many of our colleagues is Christian art and changing the visual narrative. God bless Leonardo da Vinci, but there's no way that the Last Supper was just Jesus and the twelve guys. Uh, you know, a, a a Jewish seder at the time was the whole all the families were there, and so 
I, I encourage your listeners to look at the work of Laura James as a young African-American painter. Just Google Laura James. The Future Church website has several of her pieces. Just Google Laura James Mary Magnificat, which is Mary proclaiming the Magnificat in a modern urban setting, setting with everyone present, or Mary Magdalene. Uh, her, her Mary Magdalene is stunning. And the Catholic Women, we, Orbis Books is publishing the best of Catholic Women Preach, a three-year volume cycle for the three years of lectionary. And we have the art of Laura James on it. Also, Sister Peggy Bodette, um, before she died too young of cancer, she has a very powerful freeze of Mary Magdalene, Magdalene proclaiming the resurrection to mm. the male and female disciples alike. Praise we need God. to change the visual narrative. And so much of Catholic schools, the art is boring. And kids mm. would be really inspired if they had more inspiring art on the walls. Yeah. I'm actually looking at a uh, Laura James stuff right now that now that you mentioned it, um, you do need to type in the whole thing because if you just type Laura James in, you get jewelry first. <laughs> but yeah, some of these pictures are really incredible. Like this is this is good art. I wish she did comic books. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I think uh, it'd be pretty easy for like, you know, the tiles they have in schools, the ceiling tiles. Yeah. It'd be pretty yeah. easy to like mass produce that with like the Sistine Chapel on it. You just make sure you put them in the right square. And then you, you know, I every mean, classroom true. is gorgeous. Or posters. Or John August Swanson is another one. Russ and I have a colleague named Cecilia Gonzalez Andreo who teaches at Loyola right. Marymount. And she teaches theology and art. And she's doing mm. the intro to our year B book. And she's doing a biography of John August Swanson. And she's passionate about this topic because if we if we have a different visual narrative, that's going to help people reimagine their image of God, their image of the, of the Christian community. It makes it, it, the visual makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Russ? Is there like any of your, your particular passions that we haven't asked you about yet? Yeah. You know, I, I think particularly when it comes to Catholic women preach, I always get a unique uh, sense of fulfillment and um, joy when I hear from a high school student, a college student, someone who's uh, younger, especially a young woman, mm -hmm. a young Catholic woman who for the first time is seeing herself reflected back uh, preaching, giving a reflection on these, on these readings and hearing the wisdom of women coming through and looking at their biographies and thinking, oh my gosh, there is a place for me in this yeah. church. There is, there are things that I can be doing to, to help the church and help the world. And um, it, it, for me, especially knowing um, that women receive so many messages in our culture, um, telling them what they can't do, what they shouldn't do, who they can't be, um, and particularly in our Catholic church, receiving that from the institution mm. um, to, to, to provide them with something that says, here is something you can do, here is something you can be, here is something to aspire to, and here are these incredible women that you can look up to. Um, I... I I've seen it change women's lives. I've seen it change the trajectory of their studies. I've seen it change their awesome. relationship with the church. And so for me, like those, those emails, those Facebook posts, those Instagram hearts, <laughs> I mean, all of that, you know, especially when it's coming from younger folks, uh, means the world to me. And uh, I'm just so happy that we can facilitate that.
uh, yeah. for these women throughout the, the, the country and the world. Yeah. Amen. That's incredible. Yeah. I, um, guys, I have to do it. I'm sorry, but I have to plug. Um, last year we did a series of church offices and we did talk about deacons and sister Rose was part of that series. So I do recommend everybody go back and check out our episode about deacons and deaconesses. Um, also, this September, we're doing a series on the church and art. So that'll Wonderful. be fun. We have a Catholic That's professor amazing. who's going to be a part of that series, as well as um, a whole range of people, including, um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Pentecostals, some Pentecostal churches, not that I've been a part of, do like paintings and art during the worship service. So yes. I'm really excited to kind of learn more about that because I've, I've heard of it, but I don't know if I've ever seen that personally. And I grew up yeah. Pentecostal, so. Yeah. Some yeah. of our Catholic uh, sisters have started doing that in oh, their gatherings really cool. and their deliberations. And um, and I know recently Georgetown University hosted an event on women in ordination. And there was a, a sister of St. Joseph, I, I believe, painting during the scene. And to me, that's another way of preaching, right? That's another way of bringing um, God's word to, to life in, in a way that people can comprehend mm -hmm. um, and take in. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like, a, you know, it's like a courtroom sketch. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm going to apply that away more things. Capture the movement of the spirit instead of the movement of the law. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So where can people go to learn more about and support your ministry? So please go to www.catholicwomenpreach.org. And Russ designed this brilliant, gorgeous, inclusive website, as I said, over 400 homilies fully accessible. And you just put in the search engine, the scripture reference, a few key words or the name of the preacher you're looking for. Hmm. Um, Russ, or, or, and Russ, do you want to talk about the Future Church website? Well, yeah, I'll just say uh, this, that everything else on the website is just always there, too. So we'll, we always have the featured preaching, uh, which is the preaching for that week. Then there's more um, more preaching, so you can click through. We try to get, like uh, B.A. had said earlier, we try to get a few weeks up ahead of time, uh, but then everything is there historically, too. Um, for those of your uh, listeners who are podcast listeners, which... All of them are. Uh, you can also search for Catholic Women Preach wherever you listen. We're on iTunes or uh, Apple Music, Spotify. Um, I've, yeah. They've changed the name so many times. Google uh, Podcast. So you know. So just search for Catholic Women Preach. We uh, drop new episodes, and it's it's just the audio version of the preaching uh, every Friday morning. Um, so that's for the upcoming Sunday. Yeah. And then, yeah, if, if folks are interested in, in Future Church, you can check, check out futurechurch.org. Uh, that's sort of the organization um, undergirding Catholic Women Preach. Yeah. So. And I, I forgot to add that we're trying to get more and more resources in Spanish. We have one, one woman. We've had at least 20 people. That's not enough. Uh, 20 to 30 people since Advent 2016 who have preached in English and Spanish and a text in Spanish, one woman in French, one woman in Portuguese. But wow. we're always looking for uh, new voices. So if, you're, if your listeners have a Catholic woman that they would like to recommend, uh, you can just put that on the website, uh, contact Russ through the website. Uh, we've had wonderful women of other denominations <laughs> recommended to us. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, but the purpose of this website is to showcase the gifts of Catholic women. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do have to say the catholicwomen.preach.org, uh, super convenient. 
I went on there uh, just looking up different things. It's pretty straightforward, so good website. That's all Russ. That's yeah. Russ's yeah. genius. Russ is great. Um, <laughs> so, so that means that Russ has to answer the next question first. Um, we always <laughs> ask our guests if they could provide just a single tangible action, something practical that would help people engender unity in the church. What is one practical thing you would recommend our listeners go do right now? Uh, right now, I'm a liturgical person. I love uh, worshiping communities. And yeah. so right now, what I would suggest is look up some other faith traditions, um, house of worship around you, and make a plan to attend sometime. Um, and you might need to uh, message, uh, particularly if there there might be, you know, some customs that you're unaware of, and see if, you know, you're, if someone could sit with you and just sort of walk you through what's happening. Um, but I, I do love attending another tradition's liturgies because I think more than researching something academically, more than reading about something, experiencing something, being with the people and praying alongside them is a really good way to get to know a, a faith tradition different from yours and to appreciate it and uh, to find God in it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, BA, do you have anything? It's funny how I was going to say something extremely similar. Um, the Institute for Catholic Thought and Public Life at Georgetown had a brilliant Zoom panel last week about whatever happened to Matthew 25 in the current political debate. And the panel all were saying, we need to have more and occasions of encounter with each other, deep listening, and especially in the case of Matthew 25, with reaching out and a genuine encounter with someone who is, is materially poor. Uh, so I love Russ's idea of, atten of attending uh, worship services, uh, especially perhaps in a different uh, economic zone of your town yeah. than, you, where you, than where you live. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to expand it, it's particularly if you want to find a good time to visit another church. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, we all like food, but find out when they're doing their like, you know, their fish fry or yeah. um, the Catholic church over here. There's an Italian Catholic church that had an entire Italian festival for like a day, or actually I think it was a three day festival. It was awesome. But you know, figure that stuff out, not just cause you're hungry, but it's a lot easier. In my opinion, it's a lot easier to communicate with other people and actually talk to them in some of those settings. So I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So great idea. We'll go opposite order. BA, what do you think we would see change around us if everyone went to you know, a different worship service. Well, if everyone did that, hopefully it would help to unify, I mean, to improve our political, our, our, our civic life right now is in tatters. And social media is really, the, the social media is providing these opportunities for just denigrating one another and touch, uh, t t uh, treating people as other, not our sister, and our sister and brother in the one body. So... Uh -huh. Yeah, hate to end yeah. on a bad note, but uh, <laughs> I would hope that yeah. I mean that's what the, the 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 real hope of the synodal process is is deep listening to one another and re with respect and the sense yeah. of everyone is made in the image and likeness of God, our brother and sister, and, and so with deep respect and listening, hmm. and hopefully our church is going to model that going forward. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Russ? You uh, what do you think? Yeah, I just think that we'd have a better and more expansive understanding of God, which of course would lead to a better and more 
under, uh, expansive understanding of each other, which I think would foster yeah. that unity and foster and foster bridging the divides that exist between us. As BA said, we, we do spend too much time on, and it is too easy to attack others, you know, behind a computer screen or on a TV. But when you're sitting with another person, or yes. you're you're listening to their story, or you're mm-hmm. having the honor of them listening to and holding your story, I, I don't think you can help but see another human being, another child of God across from you. Um, so I think, yeah, just expanding that notion of what of who God is and who we are as one family would, would be the change. And I think that would lead to so many other good things happening. Oh yeah. We can hope and yes. we can all try it. Oh yeah. 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 You know, I, I've enjoyed any time I've gone to any other denomination, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not for me. I'm still Catholic. Right. <laughs> but, but I've learned so much, um, ab- about myself and about my faith and about God, uh, through those experiences. Yeah. It's always fun. Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, and it's awkward because, you know, like Catholics, you know, we're very um, routine oriented in our sit, stand, (laughs) kneel, up, down, you know, hands like this, say this, do this, make that gesture. Um, So, you know, so throw a Catholic into a into a Quaker (laughs) service where where, where you're sitting there meditating and they're not going to know what to do. But it's a phenomenal experience. I experienced that a bit when I was on the staff and then on the board of directors of Bread for the World, which works on hunger policy, both domestic and international. I call it ecumenism at its best because we have everyone from fundamentalist evangelicals (laughs) to high church Anglicans and everybody in between. And at the board meetings, you could see the repressed Catholics, you know, when we're everyone's singing and dancing and, (laughs) but, uh, Check out Bread for the World. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, started attending a Lutheran church. You know, I mentioned I started leaning more Lutheran. And uh, when they do some of the old hymns that I actually know, I do usually get a comment of, man, you really like that. I was like, no, I'm just still a little Pentecostal. So you give me something I know, <laughs> I'm going to run with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The so, Lutheran key to Bread for the World. <laughs> so before we wrap up, uh, we'd like to ask everybody to share a moment from recently in their lives or not if you feel like spreading out a little but uh where they (laughs) saw god at whether that be a blessing a challenge a moment of worship uh i always make josh go first to give the rest of us as much time as we need to think yeah um so josh do you have a god moment for us this week yeah um i'm gonna be a little vague that's because this is a church unity podcast and if i'm too specific i might offend different people so i'm not gonna do that um (laughs) i have years ago kind of deconstructed a lot to use that kind of language of um just kind of different beliefs that i don't think i particularly hold anymore and i even have like a a playlist on spotify of things that really challenged my beliefs and that kind of stuff and you know obviously i'm still part of the church i still go to curse and stuff i do this you know I, i love god it's nothing like that um but it come to my attention that I never built a playlist of kind of reconstruction or what I do believe in now. So I did the opposite thing. So no, instead of having another playlist that challenges me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do things that uh, just affirm things that I believe and agree in. And um, it's put me in a much more positive mood the couple, last couple of days. So that's going to be my God moment. It's been, been pretty nice. Yeah, that's a good idea. By the way, anyone else who's just angry all the time? It might be what you're listening to has a has a huge effect on you, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, I don't think I'd say I was angry, though, just for the record. Well, yeah, it wasn't as positive as I could be. Yeah. So uh, I will go next. Esteemed guests. Uh, 
for me, my God moment is going to be uh, this past weekend. Uh, not only did I get a couple of days off of work, which, you know, praise God, but uh, we had a, a bachelor trip for my cousin. He's getting married. It's just so it's just so nice to for everyone to be able to take so much time out of their life to celebrate, you know, with him and his joy. That's that's it. That's what I live for. Mm. That's the good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Russ, do you have a God moment for us? Uh, sure. We had a, a board meeting this weekend and we had invited uh, a guest to help us reclaim celebration. Um, you know, cause so many members of our board are, are tireless in their work for making the world and the church a, a better place. And sometimes you accomplish something and move right on to the next thing. You never celebrate it. So our guest, um, father Ann was helping us to, um, to, to, to reclaim our sense of celebration. And so we went around, it was via zoom. We went around and each person, uh, had the opportunity to share something that they wanted to celebrate from that past week. Um, and some of them were small things like just getting their grading done. Uh, you know, some of them were huge things like health things, changes in, you know, health. Um, and it was just a joy to be in that space with everyone and to celebrate them. Like, I guess a little bit like you were saying, TJ, just to make that space and time to celebrate someone, to celebrate their accomplishment, to celebrate some relief that they're feeling. Um, that was, um, and it dawned on me that I don't spend enough time celebrating. So I've got to come up with a ritual uh, or a practice of celebration so that I incorporate that into my daily life. So that's my God moment, both uh, um, uh, a grace and a challenge. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. BA, do you have a you look like you have a god moment for us i did i this past weekend i was in washington dc for my 45th reunion from the foreign service school at georgetown and you think to yourself how that happened 45 years and on friday evening when we gathered with friends i was devastated to find out that one of my dear friends who i hadn't seen for a number of years um, had a particularly bad case of COVID in December of 2020. And so now she has a fairly moderate to severe case of aphasia. She's you know, intellectually gifted, but she can't get those words don't come out what she wants to say. And there were a group of us standing there um, in, an, in the courtyard at, at cocktail hour. And the degree of love and concern, and each of us gently helping her say the word that she was trying to say when we asked her about her daughter, you know, just, um, I had an intense feeling that God was present there with the depth of love that we all have for her. Mm. It was, it was very powerful. Man. Yeah. That sounds nice. Sounds something yeah. worth celebrating. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I, you know, so many people are always like, Oh, lament, lament, repent. No, no. we got to celebrate sometimes. No, no, it was it, you know? it was a recognition of of intense love, and as as Russ said earlier, the image of what who God is and what we are supposed to be doing with our lives, mm. yeah, to emulate God. Yeah. So, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Uh, you can share it with an enemy. Uh, share it with your cousins, preferably. We love our cousins. Uh, chat with us on discord uh the server is in the show notes we love to talk to you guys and uh you can actually get merch for the show believe it or not uh super cool josh wears it all the time uh 
also in the show notes. Yeah. The t-shirts are comfy. That's why we have merch. I prefer comfort over many more things. Pretty much everything. Um, Also, of course, you guys can check out other shows that we're on or shows like ours um, by going to the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network website. That link is down below in the show notes as well. All right. We hope you enjoyed it. Come back next week. We'll have another roundtable discussion. This time we're asking how the church is different from a cult. Yeah. Many ways. <laughs> uh, but we will be Hopefully. joining Christian Ashley, Dr. Thomas Ord, and Alexa Ord to discuss how Christians might be able to disagree about the theology of LGBT issues and still do works of love for the community together. And after that, we'll be joined by some of the other hosts of Systematic Ecology, check that out, to discuss what it's like to work with other Christians whom we often disagree with. Uh, yeah. And at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us, of course. Yeah, he doesn't know it, but eventually he will. And uh, after like a couple decades of doing this show, we'll end season one. Yeah. yeah. One day he will agree. <laughs> to be Indeed. Thank you for listening to the whole church podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast.